can Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. I hate to say it, it was kind of cool. This is the Press Box with Tyler Bischoff. Bitch-ass white boy. Adam Candy. Let's move on with our life. When they store Normandy, they knew that they were going to be cast and they're still being rich. Oh, does Lou Holtz still appear on TV? Was that the last thing Lou Holtz ever said on TV? I would have I'd be to... pretty happy if so. <laughs> I just I just can't remember having seen him in a long time, and that's the last thing I remember is hey, let's play college football during a pandemic because when they stormed Normandy, they knew people were gonna die. It was a mixed week in Las Vegas sports. We got some wins, one big win, but some losses. Adam Candy's here for Ed Graney. Let's start with the Raiders. The first bite. Did Derek Carr cost the Raiders a win? He said so after the game, threw two picks, one returned for a touchdown, also lost a fumble on the strip sack that basically sealed the game. Uh, He did complete a lot of passes, 30 for 46, but... Only 6.4 yards per attempt. He did not top 300 yards. Uh, also had a miss of Darren Waller right before halftime. Raiders ended up kicking a field goal. That was a four-point swing there. Um, so, Adam, are we putting most of the blame here on Derek Carr's performance? Derek Carr has to wear some of this because the Derek Carr we saw wasn't as bad as the oh-no-there-he-is-again yeah. Derek Carr that we've talked about before. But... There absolutely were moments where you looked at Derek Carr and said, he's not right. Uh, You mentioned the throw to Waller. He didn't step into that throw at all. He didn't move his feet at all. I think he probably hits Waller if he does. And then beyond that, um, the the pick that Xavier McKinney took back for a touchdown changed the entire game because the New York Giants threw for 110 (laughs) yards in this game. They scored their only offensive touchdown four minutes in. And beat the Raiders. <laughs> the New York Giants. Um, so on Derek Carr, the weird part, you, you bring it up there, is that it wasn't the oh no Derek Carr. This wasn't like the classic that we saw a couple of times earlier this year that we've seen in the past where he's under pressure, obviously panicked, throwing the ball away, throwing check downs when he doesn't need to. Like he was throwing like the interception. He was throwing from a clean pocket. Like it was, it was a weird Derek Carr where he hasn't struggled that way all season. Like that was something new we saw to Derek Carr this year. It was something new, and it still almost didn't cost the Raiders a win because Derek Carr. Again, you're not going to complain about thirty of forty six for two ninety six. Obviously, a pair of interceptions. Um, Josh Jacobs was okay running the ball. I mean, Darren Waller was effective. You did see the absence of Henry Ruggs because the one thing you'll talk about with Derek Carr when you say, well, the yards per attempt were fairly short. Well, their longest pass on the day was 24 yards. So you see the loss of Henry Ruggs in there, and you see why reportedly they're bringing in Deshaun Jackson because the one thing Derek Carr didn't have available to him was a true deep threat. And also, on the other hand, that also goes to Greg Olson, too, because they didn't really call the deep shot either. I would be curious to see some, like, all 22 breakdowns of this, but I am curious what down the field looked like in this passing game and how much 
either the Giants took that away or the Raiders weren't able to get any separation or anything, whether it was Edwards or Waller or somebody down the field, because it it wasn't a case where Darren Waller was, or excuse me, where Derek Carr was being forced into throwing the checkdowns because of pressure. So I am curious sort of what it looked like 15 and 20 yards down the field if they're just weren't guys open if they just didn't scheme guys open or guys just couldn't get open beyond 10 yards down the field. So I'll be curious to see once we get some more all 22 breakdowns of what happened there. Now, this you could argue might've been a bigger deal than Derek Carr's poor performance. Uh, Rich Bisaccia, is he the most conservative coach in the uh, NFL? What happened yesterday? That's why I said you can pin part of this on Derek Carr, Tyler, because if you want to point the finger at one person who lost this game for the Raiders, it's Rich Passaccia, and it's actually majority Rich Passaccia. Let me just read off a few stats for you on the Raiders scoring. Daniel Carlson, 25-yard field goal. Now, next time, before halftime, 10-play drive, 56 yards. Daniel Carlson, 32-yard field goal. How about this one in the third quarter after the Xavier McKinney interception? 15 plays, 85 yards, (laughs) 25-yard field goal. It's as though the John Gruden handbook was found over the bye week, hiding in a desk drawer somewhere that he forgot to take with him. And Rich Passaccia said, oh, I'm going to use this thing to make my decisions about how we go about winning this game. They not only were conservative, Tyler, They were conservative well beyond the fault. It didn't make any sense why you wouldn't allow the offense that has been the strength of this team to continue to be the strength of the team. In fact, what about the Raiders defense holding the Giants without a damn touchdown for the last 56 (laughs) minutes of the game and they still didn't win? That's on Rich Passaccia. Twice in the second half, Raiders are down four. They drive the ball inside the 10-yard line, have a fourth and three in both situations. And they kicked a field goal. Daniel Carlson actually missed one of those field goals, by the way, which should, you know, be a point to why you don't always take the points because it's not always safe when you send out your kicker in football. But that, like, it was incredible to be a team that's losing in the second half, kicking a field goal that's not, you still got to get the ball back and go down and score again. So it was an incredible level of, of Rich Passaccia being conservative. Now, here's... My sort of, I don't know, question along those lines. Rich Passaccia has never been a head coach before. Rich Passaccia was the special teams coordinator before John Gruden resigned. I don't even know how much Rich Passaccia had considered these types of decisions before. But the big, I think one of the big reasons why fourth down decisions can get harped on so much is because they're things you can decide beforehand. They're things you can understand the differences and when you should and shouldn't go for it before a game starts, like you can be ready to make those decisions. So while Rich Basaccia maybe deserves some what of a pass because he's an interim head coach and he's never done this before, it's still something you can be, it's pregame prep. Like you can have this idea, you can have an understanding of what you should be doing ready to go before a game starts so you're not having to make a snap decision on, hey, what gives us a better chance to win, kicking the field goal on fourth and three or going for the touchdown or going for the first down on fourth and three. And I think this is the first time that you've seen Rich Passaccia in a close enough game that it really mattered. 
um, because the Raiders against the Broncos and the Eagles really never faced any situations that called upon Rich Passaccia to be good in these spots. He didn't go for a fourth down against the Broncos. He didn't have to. And he was one for one on fourth down against the Eagles. Again, he didn't have to. So now maybe you do see the shortcoming of having an inexperienced head coach in that spot. And Tyler, I actually think it goes beyond just you can make the decision beforehand. It is in a close game. If you are going to make these decisions that are conservative, you are taking away the edges that you have. You're taking away adding win probability in a close game. Now, part of the, the, you know, the chicken and the egg when it comes to that is that you're in a close game because you're not going for it, because you're not taking shots at getting touchdowns. You had to have looked at this Giants offense and seen that Daniel Jones, again, I can't say this enough, Daniel Jones threw for 110 yards in this game on 20 attempts. The New York Giants overall did not gain 250 yards. The Raiders gained over 400 so that just goes to show the offense was plenty more efficient for the Raiders in the end, and Rich Passaccia <laughs> didn't help them by paying it off with chances at more points. You've said quite a bit uh, on this show about the Raiders, uh, about their offensive line, and also a little bit about their defense, that they're sort of maybe bad in the right spots because their run blocking on the offensive line has been their biggest problem, and defensively, their run defense has been a much bigger issue than anything in their past defense. Devontae Booker ran for 99 yards on 21 carries. The Giants did a pretty good job running the ball overall in that entire game. Do you have any concern about the run defense? Or you just look at it and say it, it's the NFL in 2021. It's not as big of a deal anymore. In most games, it's not a big deal. But again, if you're going to play this type of game, it is going to matter. If you play conservatively and play for field goals, then the other team can also play for field goals. And that allows them to be less efficient offensively. They don't have to go as far. They don't have to do as much offensively. Uh, I think part of the Giants game plan was clearly not to expose Daniel Jones too much. Uh, you see he did get sacked three times in the game, but it, you look at the fact that his yards per attempt were under five, <laughs> under five, and they clearly were saying that, you know what, we don't want to have to have Daniel Jones be the difference in this game for, uh, you know, for winning and losing. And yeah, you should not be giving up 99 yards to Devontae Booker. The Raiders coming into this game ranked 22nd uh, in pro football focus grade in run defense. I think that'll probably go down. Um, and when it came to the offensive line, again, I don't think the offensive line was one of the top issues for the Raiders yesterday beyond Rich Passaccia's decision-making and whatever weirdness we got out of Derek Carr. No, I'd actually, so be curious to see some of PFF grades. I thought that was their best game of the season for the offensive line. I mean, Carr wasn't on. I mean, the only time he got sacked was the strip sack that sealed the game. And that was probably the first time all year that Josh Jacobs got, got to run for like three yards before being touched. Like normally Jacobs is getting hit at the line of scrimmage when he gets a handoff, but like, he had multiple, I mean, maybe every run he had in the game. He didn't get hit behind the line of scrimmage and multiple times just he could run for five or six yards before having to either make somebody miss or run through somebody like that was hands down the easiest game Josh Jacobs has had on the season. The Raiders ran for nearly six yards per carry. I mean, Kenyon Drake got four carries and went for 30. Uh, the Raiders, again, it, it's it's you can't say this enough. They did all of the things you have to do to win the game. <laughs> with the exception of two bad turnovers and Derek Carr just missing on some throws and, of course, Rich Passaccia's decision-making. Like, this is not... Okay, we, we talked 
before this game last week. And we said, oh, man, is this going to be the same Raiders? Yeah, they're going to go on the road, lose to the Falcons, get blown out by the Jets. No, no, this wasn't that game. This game was right there to be won. And you want to talk about how uh, injurious this one is. How about the fact that this division is now basically oh. separated by a half game all the way up and down? Great division. Five and three to five and four, top to bottom in the AFC West. It's amazing, right? Because apparently Teddy Two Gloves just needs to play his games in Dallas and everything will be fine. And the Kansas City Chiefs are going to come here next week as, let's just call it what it is, one of the worst offenses in oh. all of the NFL. Oh, he said it. How'd that, how'd that feel to say out loud? It felt very, very strange. But I'll tell you what, as someone who bet Packers plus seven and a half, I was never all that worried, even when Jordan Love was derping his way around the field all day. All right, coming up next, we will jump into the Golden Knights, who, well, they got a good win on Saturday and then turned around and lost on Sunday. The draw, one by the wing, shot toward the empty net. They score! Into the empty net for Tyler Bertuzzi with 10 seconds to go. 5-2 Red Wings. The Golden Knights play back-to-back Saturday and Sunday, both on the road. Both games finished 5-2. They won in Montreal on Saturday, lost in Detroit yesterday. Uh, so, Golden Knights split their weekend. Uh, they ended up on the road trip, splitting that as well, winning two of the four games. Uh, all of them, by the way, blowouts at the, with the final score, at least. Uh, so... Adam, is it as simple as the Golden Knights need Robin Leonard to be awesome for them to win games before they get back to full health? It wouldn't hurt, Tyler. I mean, if we want to <laughs> state the obvious, um, but I don't think that's the case necessarily. Uh, I, I wouldn't make too much out of what happened in this game last night in large part because it's the end of a tough road trip. You've got a backup goaltender in. And, you know, in the end, if you look at the numbers, I mean, they still dominated Corsi, the 60 percent Corsi four, and they still ultimately uh, had more high danger chances. Just a game that did not ultimately uh, break their way. And if you said at the beginning of this road trip that given everything that has happened to this team, if they're going to go on the road for these four games and come out with four points, honestly, it's not the worst. Uh, it really isn't. So I don't think Robin Leonard has to uh, has to be the difference. For the Golden Knights, I think they have to continue to score. That's really it. You asked me last week, do I think it's more about Robin Leonard having to be great or having to score goals? I think it's absolutely for this team about having to score goals. Yeah, and they got so, all right, hockey is dumb. It's the best catchphrase for the sport because the Golden Knights played two games this weekend. And if you did not have a scoreboard while watching the games, you would have thought they lost on Saturday and won on Sunday, because like you just said yesterday, they were the better team by shots, by chances. They created more yesterday, but on Saturday in Montreal, when the golden Knights won five to two, they got outshot 38 to 18. They lost the scoring chance battle 36 to 17. They lost the expected goals battle by almost an entire goal, but won the game five to two. Granted it was three to two before a couple of empty netters, but they won the game five to two. That is something we have seen happen Against the Golden Knights in the past, where they have dominated the shots, dominated the scoring chances, and ended up losing games because 
some team scored three goals on like 18 shots and just shut it down. But the Golden Knights actually did that on Saturday and then turned around and probably played better. Like I'm, I'm betting Pete DeBoer walked away from this weekend thinking, well, it played okay on Sunday, uh, but they lost the game. And a lot of it has to do with Detroit scoring three goals on six shots against Laurent Brossois, but also because the Golden Knights don't have much of a threat offensively. I mean, they are using a bunch of guys who they never planned on playing in the NHL this year. Maybe never planned on playing in the NHL ever. Uh, and you're just you're just not getting production. Like they're just not getting production. Not that you really expect a ton, but they're they're not getting much unless it's from Alex Petrangelo. No, I don't even think you can throw Shea Theodore in there at the moment. He hasn't done a whole lot. Alex Petrangelo and really the Marsh or so, uh, Smith and Nick Waldline. That's kind of the only place the Golden Knights are getting some form of offensive uh, production on a consistent basis. Yeah. So let's recap in case you have not been following the Golden Knights closely for the last bit here. Tyler just named off a bunch of names because there's no Max Pacioretty. There's no Mark Stone. There's no William Carlson. Like there's no Nolan Patrick for most of this time. So it, it's it's just. You know, and obviously I, I was saying there's no Alex Tuck, but now there's really no Alex Tuck uh, for the Golden Knights because he's in Buffalo. So, uh, look, this is a great spot here for the Golden Knights, though, because you now come home for two straight weeks. Uh, this is about as good as you could ask for to come home. And you're going to see some teams that are not the best in the NHL, in Columbus, in Detroit, in Seattle, uh, you know, Minnesota. So, you know, you have opportunities here if you're the Golden Knights. Yeah, they don't play another road game until November 22nd. Uh, so it's a stretch here. I think it's six straight games at home for the Golden Knights. Listen, they're they're sitting at six and six. We've kind of been talking about, hey, stay 500 until you get back to at least somewhat close to full strength. And then you should be able to start making up ground, get into a playoff spot, maybe catch Edmonton, Calgary, even though Edmonton still, uh, they've only played 10 times, but only has one loss on the season. So Sitting around six and six. So, all right, they have six straight home games. They're at 500 right now. Is it fair to put expectations that they need to go better than three and three over these next six home games? I don't think you can have expectations at all for the Golden okay. Knights right now. It's fair. I just don't see what the expectations can be for two reasons. One, because of what you just mentioned about who's playing. And two, we don't know who they're going to get back uh, in that time. So, you know, there's at least a hope that, you know, that this Golden Knights team could be fortified in some way. But the way these games space out, where for the next week or so, so here we are on Monday, November 8th, they'll play Tuesday, they'll play Thursday, they'll play Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. You realistically can start Robin Leonard in all of those games if you want uh, with no back-to-backs. And the way that Pete DeBoer has done it, the only time Laurent Brossois has started has been on uh, back-to-backs. So you would assume they're going to give themselves the best chance to win with Robin Leonard out there for all of these games. Now, very important. This did not happen on Sunday, but it did happen on Saturday. Oh, my God. I know what you're going to talk about. This is so exciting. The Golden Knights, not just one, scored two power play goals on Saturday in Montreal. Two! They were the last team to score a power play goal, and they decided, you know what? Let's have some fun and do it twice in the same game. Well, here's one that's even better, Tyler. If you're a Golden Knights fan, you're saying, oh, so now you can score power play goals against Montreal. <laughs> this is the obviously playoffs the most last year weren't time. the best spot for it, but you can do it now. Cool. <laughs> it's clearly the most important time to get it done, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's true. Early November, uh, early November on your swing 
up through Canada and uh, Detroit with Brossois. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's funny is that so last week uh, on Friday when we were talking about the power play, the Golden Knights at that moment were seventh in the NHL in terms of expected goals per minute on the power play. They actually fell to 13th. Like they didn't, they, they didn't have good power plays. They just happened to score on them, which is maybe another good point to why hockey is dumb that having good power plays might not actually be important. Uh, so yeah, their power play in terms of like chances and shots wasn't any better this week. It's actually worse than it had been earlier in the season, but they got two goals and that's all that matters. So Steve spot, He's a genius now. Uh, nobody needs to be mad at Steve Spot anymore. Uh, they're they're good to go. They're just fine. No, clearly so. Um, and the reason that you need that power play, of course, is that this team right now is 30th in the NHL in uh, expected goals for percentage. They're down in Corsi. Like the things that we're used to seeing for the Golden Knights are things like, well, yep, they continue to dominate the advanced metrics. They're just not putting the puck in the net. Well, now they're not dominating the advanced metrics, and they're also not putting the puck in the net enough. Uh, more importantly, they're giving up just a ridiculous amount of chances. Um, and I think that's really where this has to thread the needle, if you're Pete DeBoer, is that we said from the beginning, okay, if these forwards are who they are, you're going to have to activate the defenseman a little bit more, hockey term, and then let them score or at least create chances Uh I think that has probably bent a little bit too far to the wrong end of the spectrum here because they are giving up way too many chances. Yeah, they're still giving up the most high danger chances per game in the NHL. And I, I think it does come a lot from, hey, who the hell is scoring on this team? Well, you have Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo. Those guys should do some of the goal scoring. And is it working out very well? No, the Golden Knights are giving up way too many chances because who's left to defend when those two guys get caught out of position. I do want to in this segment, uh, Adam, some power play stats for you. So if you look at goals scored on the power play per 60 minutes, the golden Knights are not last anymore. The Seattle Kraken have the worst power play in the league. They're scoring 2.5 goals per 60 on the power play. The golden Knights are at 2.8. Uh, nobody else is below three. The Edmonton Oilers are scoring 21.6 goals per 60 minutes on the power play. Is that good, Tyler? <laughs> Over the course of 60 minutes, they are nearly 10 times better on the power play than the Golden Knights are. Um, <laughs> so question for you uh, about that. Um, can we get one of those Connor McDavid's? Oh, they should have <laughs> traded for him. That would have been a way better trade. All right. Coming up next, I think we're going to call Ed Grady. We're, we're changing the plan here. Ed's in New York. He's trying to cover some Rangers morning skate. I think we're calling Ed Grady next. Prescott faces a four-man pressure, throws a ball. That is intercepted. That is intercepted, and that is Caden Stearns, the rookie out of Texas, his second interception of his rookie campaign. How about that? All right, joining us now from New York is Ed Graney. Ed, what what's going on this morning? Scheduling's out of control up there? Oh, uh, it's, it's out of control. I'm walking down a long hallway for a Ranger, Rangers morning skate. I have no idea if they allow cell phones inside. I might just hang up on you. There's a very good chance <laughs> this is the last you'll hear of me because they have not told us the rules. And uh, I think they just locked us out. Wait, wait, wait. Locked you out like you can't get in to see the practice or locked you to where you can't leave the rink? 
Um, no, they, see, we can't go into see the practice. Where where are you? I, I mean, you're not at the, you're not at the garden. Like, it's like I'm literally like, in a. Yeah, this 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 is this is dangerous. I think we actually we're live streaming the end of Ed Graney. Hold on, hold on, Ed. Talk for us. I don't think we have Ed anymore. No, I think we're I gonna. Think, I, I think, think we're gonna talk gone. to Ed sometime after he escapes Saw Six. <laughs> this is going about as well as I thought it would. Do you yeah. think? Yep, yep. Do you think Ed did that on purpose? He just didn't want to talk to us this morning, so he said, "Yep, call me now," and then just wandered into the deepest uh, hole he could find to make sure he lost cell service. I wonder because I have to feel like Ed is torn right now because I think he's going to take every opportunity to be on with you and talk about the Astros. But I also think that considering the way the Cowboys got slapped around yesterday, that he might not want any of that. By uh, give us his great nickname again. Uh, Teddy Two Gloves. Teddy Two Gloves. Oh, yeah. the Denver Broncos. By the way, what, what, what the hell are the Denver Broncos doing going into Dallas and being that dominant? What's happening there? There are some teams that are hard to figure out this year, and I gotta say, it's the Denver Broncos are at the very, very top of the list. How is that team five and four? <laughs> uh, really? I mean, I mean it, they started that, off they have, with a cupcake schedule to get what I to know. three and zero. Oh? They just went and beat a team that everybody thought was a top five team in the NFL <laughs> at, w- with their starting quarterback. Like what? What exactly was that performance? God, they are gonna. You know what? They're gonna end up being exactly who Vic Fangio wanted them to be. A nine and eight team that misses the playoffs by one game. <laughs> Don't they want to be worse than that? I mean, Vic Fangio maybe they wants should. to be that, but they want it. I mean, they're doing a poor job of tanking. Like if there's they, they traded Von Miller, but they're doing a poor job on the field of actually tanking and getting a higher draft pick. You know who? I mean, honestly, look. You know I've wanted the New York Giants to be tanking this year. Now they just went, went and won their third game, so they're going to end up with the ninth pick and draft a center. But now you look at the Denver Broncos and you say, okay, you built this whole year around having a bridge quarterback, right? Like someone just to get you to the next year. There's no one thought that Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke is going to be the long-term answer for this franchise. And now what have they done? They've put themselves in position to once again be signing some veterans minimum kind of quarterback. Uh, because they're not going to be in position to draft one. Yeah, because they're going to be in. It's we're going to be sitting in week fifteen. It's going to be like, well, the Broncos win their last two of their uh, last three. They're in the playoffs. Well, hold on a second. Let's <laughs> let's talk about this seriously though. Whether they make the playoffs or not, because we spent the whole off season first wondering if Deshaun Watson was coming to Denver, and then wondering if Aaron Rodgers was coming to Denver. And Tyler, Tyler, what sort of what sort of pissing off of the gods did we do that the Aaron Rodgers Pat McAfee interview happened like five minutes after we got off the air on Friday yeah we got we got screwed we got absolutely screwed because Aaron Rodgers and his horse paste should have been within our window on Friday now (laughs) it's like three days old how do we even talk about it anymore like it, it, it all right I'll I'll ask you this question about Aaron Rodgers what give me the chances here what's the possible chance that Aaron Rodgers was just screwing with everybody when he was on the Pat McAfee show. Zero percent. Okay. Oh yeah. Zero percent. No, 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 no. He, he was out there spilling truth for everybody (laughs) to hear. Um, 
and he has no interest in what anybody <laughs> thinks in response to that. Like, what you heard on Friday morning was a man who has not been told no very much. <laughs> I believe my favorite was, oh, God, Aaron Rodgers went full galaxy brain. We just let it happen. I can't believe he quoted MLK. <laughs> I... I can't believe he quoted MLK. I, I, it's, it's one of the most absurd things you've heard uh, to quote MLK who's talking about segregation. <laughs> Uh, about, hey, it's stupid I have to wear a mask when talking to the media. Um, I also very much enjoy that Aaron Rodgers told people that he followed all of the protocols except the one that we saw, which was him talking to the media without a mask on. But don't worry, all the ones in private, he was absolutely following the protocols. I enjoy that so much because it is one of the most obvious lies I think I've ever heard in my life. Because he was out here saying, well, I didn't wear my mask because I think it's stupid. Why do I have to wear a mask when talking to everybody else who's got a mask on and is vaccinated? I just didn't follow that one because it was stupid. But all the other stupid rules, uh, don't worry, I followed those even though you couldn't see me doing it. You know what? What he essentially said was, and, and, and we know he thinks this anyway, but he said I'm smarter than you, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm a critical thinker. Oh, God. What am I? I, am am I a sheeple because I decided to join roughly seventy nine percent of the rest of the country and try to protect each other? Is that what he thinks? And how, this will really test the limits for me of how much we lionize athletes because there have to be a lot of people who listen to this who were Aaron Rodgers fans who now think to themselves, "Ugh, that's what he thinks of me." Like, not a lot of Packers fans, but a lot of other people. And I think you probably noticed this weekend that, man, there were still a lot of State Farm commercials on those NFL broadcasts. And, oh, man, was Aaron Rodgers not near any one of them. Like, that was all Patrick Mahomes all weekend long. So we know what middle America is uh, is thinking about Pat uh, Rodgers here at the moment. Okay, two two things very quickly. First, I have an update from Ed Graney from inside all the right. uh, Saul. He is alive? Yes. Okay. And apparently... Gallant looks really good skating. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Text him back. Well, give, give us whatever your second thing is, but text him back that uh, when he gets back, we are going to need him to compare and contrast Pete DeBoer skating with Gerard Gallant skating. We're going to need an update. Who's faster? Who's better at, like, stopping, turning? Who looks more agile on the edge? We need a full breakdown on right. Pete DeBoer versus Gerard Gallant skating. I will I will let him know that. The second thing, and I don't know how far we can get into it, but the fact that he went, I called Joe Rogan, and we became <laughs> friends, which is basically like you have access to some of the best doctors in the world, and you went to the smartest guy at the trailer park. So right now, if you were to take... Aaron Rodgers and Kyrie Irving and put the two of them against each other in terms of who has jacked this up more. Who's your winner? Aaron Rodgers. Because Aaron Rodgers lying is apparently not the word you can use. Aaron Rodgers intentionally misled people. Kyrie Irving. Whoa, never... what, wait a minute. Why can't you use it? Why? He absolutely lied. Okay, we can use it. He lied. Kyrie Irving never 
lied or tried to mislead anybody about his vaccination status. Now, they're both similar in that neither one of them had anything to say until they effectively got told you can't play your sport anymore, or at least for a week, right? Like Aaron Rodgers had nothing to say about any of this until, oh, he can't play this week. Kyrie Irving came out, was like, I'm a voice for the voiceless, but he was quiet the entire time until, oh, he can't play anymore. So they're both similar in that regard, but Kyrie Irving, I I guess to credit Kyrie Irving, (laughs) he never lied about it. And here's the thing about calling it a lie. It's 100% a lie. Go back to the point where we talk about Aaron Rodgers going to the league and trying to convince them that the homeopathic remedies that he did qualified as immunization, right? And the league came back and said, nah, bro, whatever this was does not meet the standard of mRNA vaccines that have been tested over the course of 20 or 30 years. Um, He claims he's allergic to one of the ingredients in, in the Pfizer and Moderna, but that he could have taken the Johnson and Johnson, but he didn't take the Johnson and Johnson because of the uh, one-off blood clot issues that we heard about that the uh, the CDC ultimately said, no, no, there were some weird side effects for a couple of people. This is okay. This is safe. It is still being distributed. Um, and then, and then only got in front of the media and said, oh yeah, I've been immunized. No, you knew exactly what you were doing. It's a lie. The best part in my mind is, so you went with a homeopathic, you went homeopathic, homeopathic, medicine when medicine was available (laughs) and look i will i have an aunt who is big into natural and homeopathic remedies and i'll tell you what a lot of them work and i'll also tell you what when one of her children was diagnosed with cancer she was talking about the homeopathic stuff as a supplement (laughs) to traditional medicine as in you are going to do all of the traditional medicine things because there are times that it calls for traditional science and medicine. And guess what, Aaron Rodgers? This is one of them. This is not horse pace time. And it's not just about you. Say it again. It's not just about you. It's about your teammates and the organization and the Green Bay community and everyone that you claim is important to you when you get up there and come back for another year in Green Bay. And this is how you show it to them. All right, coming up next, Jared gets control of the show. Credit to them. They came out. They wanted it more. You know, we had a lot of a lot of little things add up to big things. And I put the ball in danger too too often. Bit us in the butt. Played like excuse my language, but um, that starts with me. So I got to be better for this team. But again, those guys on defense get paid too. They had a good game plan. I wish him well. I really do. Like I said, my feelings haven't changed. I wish him well. You know, that's from a personal standpoint. He, he's a good friend of mine. We still haven't talked, but that doesn't change things. Uh, I wish him well. I wish him the best in his career. But I'm worried about the guys in our locker room. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of these guys, how they were able to focus up despite all the bull that was going on this week uh, and how they were able to do their job. So that's why I appreciate this group of guys and, uh, and, and the staff that we have. So we're going to you know, see if we can build on it and continue to get better. What happened on that sideline play where it was unsportsmanlike conduct on the sideline? And did you feel that was a proper call or not? I don't think it was a proper call when I saw it on the replay, but, you know, those guys that aren't in uniform need to stay the heck away from players. They need to get their back. I've always said doing something and accomplishing something gives you confidence and belief. You don't need to go sit on some psychologist's couch and get it. That's just a bunch of Okay, you got to do it on the field between the white lines. You got to do it with your actions, not with your words. 
because I have taken this very seriously. You know, I'm not a COVID denier or any like that. Like, I just wanted to make the decision that was best for my body. That's it. I wear my mask when I go out. All right, Jared. Okay, so this morning I had a whole completely different thing planned, but there is be- there's this new thing in especially NFL post-game interviews where bull bleep has just become like an acceptable thing as an answer. And I'm very confused because I don't remember that ever being a thing in the like last 20 years. Well, my favorite was, I don't know who it was, but the guy that said we got our uh, butts kicked, like he censored himself to say butts, but then immediately the next (laughs) sentence dropped the bull bleep. That was probably my favorite. So I don't know. Well, that's that's there used to be. And Adam, maybe I'm wrong about this. I the the assumption is yes, they're adults. They curse, but I thought there was always an understanding that when when you're when you're in front of the media, don't be yourself. Um, it's strange because over the course of the last twenty years, the general discourse among people has become so much more civil that it's surprising to me that people would use the naughty words when they talk to cameras. Uh, Okay, so that was, I just, I found that curious that when I was going through sound, every third one was bleeped, 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 bleeped. I've got like four more, but here was what I actually wanted to ask you guys. So I was doing the... UNLV game, and obviously New Mexico runs the triple option, which in and of itself is sort of a weird, gimmicky sort of offense. And that made me start thinking, okay, well, what's what are some others for other sports? Like, the triple option to me is like the main, like, okay, we can't compete, but maybe we can do something just weird enough that randomly a guy will break off a 75-yard touchdown and will win. The one I could think of in basketball is the Grinnell system, where this guy is the shooter. Well, that's just insanity, the Grinnell system. Basketball, it's zone defense. That's what it is? Yeah, it's zone defense. There's no doubt about it. It's zone defense. I thought that was... I I think that... Don't you think it's a little broad, though, Tyler? It it is. Just zone defense. Like, I think if you... Honestly, what I think it is, if you want to talk like a super gimmick system, let's, let's call it the pack line defense. Right, like you could play a Tony Bennett type defense where you hope to God to win every game forty-five to forty. Yeah, you can. I mean, you can play the pack line and still be up tempo. Like Tony Bennett's pack line plus, we're taking twenty-eight off the shot clock every time we touch it. You can still play pack line and be up tempo. I here's the thing. I think it's zone because zone is basically used before the NBA level. Zone is basically used in terms of we don't have the athletes to match up man to man. We're going to play zone so you can't get open layups against us. I have used it myself in situations like that. We put when I was in high school, we did a little summer tournament thing. We lost our first game by like 20 points. We said we're playing zone defense. Didn't lose a game the rest of that tournament. It was phenomenal. Um, but that was us saying we can't defend anybody in this tournament one-on-one. We're just going to play zone because they don't know what to do when we do it. It was great. So it's, yeah, I, I think in basketball, it's defensive strategies in terms of zone. And you can throw the pack line in there as well. Is I think, it, and you look at uh, baseball. All right, the closest I can come in baseball, Tampa Bay Rays. That's yeah. how, that's exactly what I was going to point out. Is it the Rays? I mean, it's, it's a team that 
essentially went into the postseason this year with zero starting pitchers, right? A team that essentially says, all right, the traditional model of playing baseball is that your starting pitcher, I mean, in the old days, goes seven, now goes five. But the Rays are like, nah, what's a starting pitcher? Like, we're going to ride the variance of relievers every single year. We're going to hope to God that when we throw 12 guys in that bullpen who can all throw 95, that on any given day, seven or eight of them are going to be okay. <laughs> and that the one who's bad won't be all that bad, and we can just go get another one. Because when they're all relievers, you don't have to worry about which guy is down for five days because he just pitched. Right? Like, you just go get the next guy up, and, the, and if a guy has a bad day, he'll be ready in two days. Yeah, it's also, I, I will say the one defense I'll give of the Rays is the scarcity of actual good starting pitching is probably a little bit more than like college football where teams run the option because they just aren't good, whereas you could actually have another good offensive system. Whereas in baseball, I mean, if you how many good starting pitchers are there? There's not as many that to go around. So a little bit of like, hey, the scarcity of this position makes it more feasible a little bit less of a hey it's a it's still a gimmick but a little bit less of a hey this is just a straight gimmick I, I don't know though because I think part of why you run the option is because you don't have a quarterback and there is definitely yeah. a dearth of available quarterback talent uh, out there so you know and, and you could go even farther with it in football right Jared's trying to find it in other sports how about running like a like you know a wing T or single wing kind of thing, right? <laughs> like one of these things where it looks like a 1920s talkie, where they're just turning around with the football, spinning three times, running guys four different directions, and figuring out which one has it. It's ridiculous. So the Marcus uh, Mariota third down play. Yeah, uh, that actually no, that actually was a fun option. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I enjoyed them using Marcus Mariota for his two plays for his nine million dollars. Like I think that's that's great for him. It's a great. Uh, it's kind of like being a you know a, a left-handed specialist reliever. Um, hold on, so, hold on. We need a we need an NFL rule. If you sub in a quarterback, he's got to play for three snaps. Three plays. Yeah, he absolutely has to go for three plays. I like that. I like that. Uh, or else turn the ball over. Um, I think that what you also could do in, in hockey, and again, my X's and O's in hockey are not nearly as strong as in other sports, but the New Jersey Devils, when they won the cup back in 1995, played a system called the left wing lock, which was essentially, we're not going to try to score a whole lot. We're just going to wait till you mess up and take the puck back the other way and try to win every game two to one. Yeah. Make it extremely difficult for you to get through the neutral zone and yeah. Hope, hope to come up with some sort of breakaway or odd man rush. Is there one in soccer? Yeah, it's the same idea as that. Counterattack. You just put 11 guys behind the ball, 10 guys behind the ball, and wait till the other team turns it over, and you try to hit them on a two-on-one counterattack and win one to nothing. The worst is when a team does that in, like, the first five minutes, and then they're like, all right, we're not taking another shot the rest of the game. We don't even want the ball past midfield. You can have it the rest of the game. We're just going to watch gonna sit and watch it's uh, that absolutely exists in soccer and the problem is it kind of works in soccer because you don't score very much in that sport and you can dominate have the ball for the entire game and still lose one to nothing